Hey, this is Steven Saro from Unteachers and Tantrum of the Muse, and you're listening to Discography Discussion. Destruction comes. Oh, Jesus. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I should say released upon the earth, right? Oh, my God. That's oh, yeah, I never thought about the albums in that regard. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just messing. You know, I got to say this, though. My human sacrifice tape snapped today. No, it really? snapped. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had that cassette before. I can't remember if mine was a was a Vengeance or a Vengeance Rising, but my CD was a Vengeance, and and that thing's gone. I don't know where it went. Is it your record of Vengeance as well? My record is well, yeah. It, it was never released as Vengeance Rising on vinyl. Okay. So yeah, I have a Vengeance. But yeah, speaking of real quick, I don't off the subject, but um, that Metamorphosis CD, I finally found that thing. Oh yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you got, if you tracked it down yet. I don't have it yet. No, I'm I'm trying okay. to complete my Rex Records collection. And you're more your physical media, right? Like if I sent you the MP3s, you wouldn't care. No, because I can. I mean, I've got the MP3s. That's what I figured. Okay, yeah. If that if it didn't snap right in the middle, you can give me that human sacrifice. It snapped. Tape. It snapped right in the middle of of burn. Oh, okay. I was gonna say because I could splice it for you. Of all the albums from them, the snap, right? I know, right? But no, my my copy released upon the earth works fucking great. Yeah, it's um, crystal clear. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You can really, you can really hear that douchey uh, instrumental jam in the middle of the album, perfectly clear. But you what can't the hear, fuck uh, is with those burns. vocals? <laughs> like, I don't know. oh my god! I don't know. Ugh. I can't wait to hear you guys talk about it, though. Yeah, that's for sure. it's gonna be fun. So, which one of you guys shit all over non-existent? I just got to get this off. My uh, chest. Oh, that yeah. was me. Totally me. Uh, I think this is gonna start the <laughs> podcast, right? <laughs> oh, oh God, where do I begin? Oh. I don't know. Maybe no, you should talk no. to DJ about that. I think no, he actually. I'm just messing. I'm just saying. messing. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was gonna say DJ feels more like I do than what Dan does. Surprisingly, I feel like once the lead singer, you know, validates your own personal opinion, you kind of have a rock to stand on. <laughs> and I do now. <laughs> you know what? I'll give you that. And you know, I'll even give you that. That record vocally is is not like I would never listen to that album and say, "Oh, this is." Everyone's gonna love this. This is why would why would anyone take a uh, problem with this with this vocal performance? I, I totally get that, but man, I think the songwriting on that record's amazing, though. Yeah, I even said I said the same thing too. I said the vocals just make it so distracting; it's so hard to pay attention to how good everything else is. The vocals on that album are like one of those things where, depending on the on the time I listen to it, sometimes I'm like, "This is so creepy and weird," and I love that it. it's there's nothing else like this. And then other times I'm like. I get it. I get it. Yeah. But it's still really cool. But uh, I was just like, some of my, some of the episodes you guys do where I'm listening to them at home, I'm like, I get like, like when you guys did the Sepultura one, I was like, oh my God, if they shit on Roots, I'm going to freak out right here. <laughs> and um, and uh, and then you started talking about Tourniquet in one of your episodes. And I was like, if they like Raw Vagina, I'm going to be so mad. Raw Vagina. I've never heard that before. Yeah. It's just when you listen to him sing it like that. It, Think of oh my god, now <laughs> Great, you ruined that for me vagina. This is payback for talking <laughs> shit on non-existent You know oh, that, right? Oh man, <laughs> ruined my life uh, I, I apologize I'm I'm uh, just excited to be on a podcast You know, I haven't been on one since I quit one Yeah, I almost <laughs> saw Tantrum of the Muse one time at um, Cornerstone And uh, instead yeah, But I well, I went up there and you guys weren't there, and Alathian was playing instead. <laughs> what what year was that? Uh, it was either 04 or 05. I think it was 04. Were we on the bill, like on the on the flyer? Yeah. 
Yeah, and so I like I literally, I literally walked over there and I was like, yeah, we're gonna go see Tantrum. It's gonna be awesome. And then it was Alathian, and it was still awesome. Oh wait, yeah, I remember that now. It was like Dude, Rock I for Life totally stage or something. Yeah. Yeah, because we had broken up briefly and then got back together briefly, and it was 2004 where we ended. So I think we had gotten a slot there and then never made it. We, I wonder if we even called them. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But at least the Lathian played for us. That's yeah, no, that kind of like cool. family filling in for us. So. Yeah, Joel was like, "Hey, we're really sorry for anybody that's here to see Tantrum and the Muse." And I'm like, "You're damn right," you know. Like, <laughs> and then they all cheered because we weren't there, and it was actually a Lathian. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> oh well. And if you're ready to burn the place to the ground, but at least a Lathian played. Then you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion. I am Joe. That is Dan. That is Jeff. This is Stephen Sorrow of Unteachers and Tantrum of the Muse. And we're talking about Vengeance Rising tonight. Woohoo! <laughs> that was amazing. Thanks. Got my beer in the air, man. That was a great opener. It was. <laughs> that was a really. No one's gonna get that, but us. But hey. that's fine. Hey, Fifty-two <coughs> episodes in, I think I could, you know, bust one good one every now and then. Dude, the best that's one. Awesome. The best one he ever did was. Uh, and if you freeze Han Solo in Carbonite, then you are. That was great. Um, Which episode's that? That was Death with Travis. Oh, okay. I only remember that. I did listen to that one. I had to because it was my cousin and it was Death. So it was mostly about your cousin. Yeah, you got a little fanboy action going on in that. Oh. Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. But you know As we're stone cold professionals now, so that's awesome. I think I said like four words in that interview. It was his first episode. Yeah, it was my first episode, and then it was Dan and Trav just like shooting the shit for two two hours. Yeah, yeah like trying to catch <laughs> yeah. up with ten years worth of stuff in in two hours. I totally felt that a little bit as I listened to it, but you know Travis brings a lot of sex appeal, so it's a little hard. Even when I was playing music with him, like we, like he did on Teachers with us for a little bit, and doing that record was really distracting because his sex appeal was very <laughs> intense. I could believe I'm his that. cousin, and I still sweat. And now we will pause for a <laughs> quote from Travis Turner. I'm not big. I'm not like important, but at the same time, I ain't kissing anybody's ass. He's a liar. He's a filthy liar. <laughs> <laughs> You know, <laughs> I told him off off air uh, a couple weeks ago. I was like, "You need to jump on this vengeance show because the two of us talking about vengeance would be quite interesting." But he was like, "Oh, you'll remember more than me." I don't know what that meant, but you know, him and I were uh, we grew up together listening to every Easter we'd go in each other's bedrooms and listen to cassettes of all the bands and stuff. He's kind of like my uh, my uh, little partner in crime with all the metal growing up. So that's cool. But um, it's nice yeah. that you had somebody to share it with. Yeah, it was cool because, you know, he's my cousin, so there was like... Because no, none of my other cousins cared about music. He was the only one, so he and I bonded a lot on, on music growing up. And he'd show me some weird stuff. And he was way more ahead of me in terms of, uh, like, the real metal, like the, the secular stuff and Iron Maiden and all that other stuff. I was more of the Christian kid. Right. So I'd show him, like, the Christian alternative knockoffs, and he'd show me, like, the real versions. But um, <laughs> he introduced me to some really good stuff. Um, I credit him for giving me... Um, uh, getting me into Scattered Few. I don't know if you guys are familiar yeah, with that yeah. band, but, but um, yes. they did a record called Sin Disease. It's amazing. And actually, uh, they'll come up tonight a little bit with the Vengeance connection. But um, yeah, yeah, we have a we have a long history of of heavy metal together. So he really wants to get on the Iron Maiden episode. That's the one he's holding out for. He's the guy to get on that show. Yeah, yeah. him and Josh. Josh played bass on on Teachers. He he and he and Travis are like best friends since childhood and yeah. they're iron maiden obsessed so that would be a 
a good episode with them for sure. Well, that's coming up but, at some um, point in the future, pretty pretty soon, I think. That's awesome. That would be a great band to cover for sure. I just have to listen to so much Iron Maiden before that. Yeah, I'm only interested in the Dickinson, Dickinson stuff, the uh, peace of mind and stuff. I mean, Travis schools me on this stuff. This is the stuff that he's told me about. And even recently, I I, I uh, told him I confessed to him and I said, "Look, I don't even know." what i should know about iron maiden you got to tell me which records i only had number of the beast for years i love bruce dickinson and i grew up on baron cross i don't know if you're familiar with baron cross but they were kind of like they filled the gap for me they sound so much like them they were the band that like if you got those little posters uh, you know in uh in school when you're in grade school or high school that's all like if you like this secular recommended band, you'll yeah. like, recommended yeah. if you like uh-huh <laughs> When Tooth and Nail Records came out, that was kind of a life send for me because, you know, I grew up listening to a lot of Christian music and I was just sort of like after, like in the high school realm, I was getting into a lot of the, the mainstream stuff. And without those recommended, if you like lists, I wouldn't have known about a lot of these bands. You know, I actually started the other way around. So when did you, uh, when did you get started with Vengeance? You know, that's funny. Vengeance, I was actually pretty much there from the beginning. Like not the very first month, but like when that record came out, I was introduced to it my parents were uh youth leaders at a church and so there was a lot of kids that were a little older than me always around the house and one of the kids gave me a dubbed cassette of human sacrifice and it had, i think it had a deliverance record on the other side or something yeah and uh so it was a dub cassette which means i couldn't put it in and push play on side one and get the very beginning what happened was i actually heard the song beheaded for the was the very first thing i heard and i when it came to the end of the song where uh, Roger does that screech, yeah. that, that creepy screech. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keep in mind, this, this album came out in like 88. So maybe it was like 88, 89. I was very young. I was only, I was probably like, I mean, I'm 40 now. So subtract all of it. I'm probably like 10 or 11 years old. Um, and it scared the living shit out of me. Like, no joke. Like, like I remember turning it off and being like scared to death. <laughs> and, um, so that was my introduction to Vengeance Rising was just being tor- like tormented by that song. And, and I've always been a kid who's been attracted to um, things that get some sort of an emotional reaction out of me. Uh, for example, I used to sneak horror movies when I was a little kid. And I would see like The Shining and I'd see stuff like that. And it used to terrify me. But then I'd want to go see it again or I'd want to like fulfill that more, you know, that, that urge to see stuff like that. Yeah, it's the and, thrill. Yeah, like, and I think that's what ultimately it is—is is entertaining, and it gets some sort of an emotional reaction out of you that you you really can't feel just doing normal things day to day. So when that when that song scared me, it also intrigued me. So then it was like, okay, rewind this side and listen to the rest of this, and and then you know, obviously became a huge fan. But it's really important, I think, when you talk about bands that are this old school, to understand that in the context of the time they've come out that i mean like it'd be tough right now to introduce this to like my kids if they were age appropriate and say hey you know you've been listening to all this modern stuff that's going on now like listen to this they may they may not understand that when that album came out it was absolutely the darkest heaviest craziest thing ever and especially to have it in a christian market well yeah nobody was was insane nobody was singing like roger martinez then no 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 and even the way he does it is weird. It's not like necessarily the yeah. secular standard. Like it's a little bit different. It's its own thing. Mm-hmm. And everything's oversaturated now. So I mean, you have a million bands. Like you got you know Cannibal Corpse and all that stuff. 
there's a lot of bands that, that did that but to, to, tell, to say that a band like Vengeance came out the kind of predating even some of the more modern and most famous of that ba- those types of bands is pretty insane and then to say this band was sold in the Christian market was is even more insane and I can I can tell you being a really young impressionable kid who grew up on Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith and, <laughs> and things Carmen. like that and, uh, yeah yeah you want to do an episode on carmen oh my god yeah i can um i can i I I think i'm sick that day uh i I can actually work that one (laughs) that that was the my i've said it on other podcasts but my grandma every christmas bought me something carmen like that was like her go-to i'm sorry i'm sorry (laughs) i saw carmen in concert long story for another time but but man like yeah yeah i grew up in that that thing you know my parents were you know, we were. I was raised Christian, and and we listened to a lot of the CCM, Petra, the Newsboys, which I have a lot of admiration for for a lot of that stuff. Growing up, you know, um, Striper was like the first uh, foray into metal for me, and I I love Striper. Um, but Vengeance was a different thing, <laughs> you know, and and it was extremely dark for for my age, and um, and just I never. It's. I, I wish I could put everybody in the mindset of like you've never heard anything like this, and now listen to Beheaded, and just and just the reaction I got from it, and it's really amazing, um, you know. And, and I'm I'm I always have to preface that because it's it's hard to talk about this stuff in the context of what it was like then, you know. Before we talk about the context of where in the world is Carmen San Diego, I'm going to take this time to say thank you to everyone for listening to this podcast. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, you can find everything discography discussion at discussmetal.com. We are on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, so if you have an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, you have no excuse. Ask it to play the latest episode of the Discography Discussion podcast, and it will. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Be sure to like, favorite, and subscribe. It really helps us out. It lets us know you're listening. And now Dan is going to tell us all about five-star reviews. Hey, guys, I just wanted to let you know that we have actually added functionality to our Facebook page to where you can leave us reviews directly on Facebook. So if you go to facebook.com slash discography discussion, uh, we will be there in all of our glory. And uh, on top of that, uh, you can also always go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as it's called now, and um, you can leave us a review there. Uh, The thing about reviews is it's not just us stroking our ego. It's more of just us trying to get exposure to people that normally wouldn't be able to check out our podcast any other way. So the more reviews we get, uh, the more notable we become as far as being known as a metal podcast. Therefore, if you search for something like Metal Podcast, we're more likely to come up with the more reviews we get. So... uh, if there's something that you want to let us know or, or, or to give us a high five or to tell us we suck, just uh, that's where you can do that, those two places. We'd also like to take this time to shout out Dave Cassidy. Yeah, we'd also like to take this time to <laughs> shout out Dave Cassidy for being our sole Patreon member. Thank you so much, Dave. You're the man. I love you. I can't wait to go to your party next month. It's going to be so much fun. I'm sorry I'm going to miss your party, Dave, but I, I promise I'll be thinking about you from the beach while I'm holding the beer in my hand. Yeah, right. I'll be holding the beer at Dave's party thinking about Jeff on the beach. No, that's, a, that's the thing. We gotta get we gotta get Steven back to fill in for Jeff on that episode. <laughs> yeah. You ought to send your Patreon guy like one of them Burger King crowns. I think he deserves it. That'd be beast. Oh, we've we've done more than that. We've Dan and I have known Dave for a while. Actually we both used to work he for He was our boss, yeah. Yeah, he was our boss. Oh wow. Yeah. That's kinda weird, right? When your boss is 
paying for you your he's, podcast he's cool bit? yeah he's a cool guy he, we yeah, call that payback he ran yeah, an, he ran an, <laughs> he, well he ran an independent game store for like 10 years and uh we both worked ended up working for the game store in right. some capacity that's cool he unfortunately had to close down last year which was just you know mm. That's just to the video game market now, you know, like people don't care yeah. about physical games anymore. So, and the people who do, they just go on eBay and buy them. Exactly. I'm just holding my breath for another five or 10 years for the reproduction market to die down so that I can actually buy a game with confidence again. There you go. Well, yeah, I've seen that a lot with cassette tape collecting. There's a lot of like uh, bootleg yeah. stuff out there, you know, like I'll really? buy some. Yeah, like I bought, uh, I bought two Nile records uh, recently on cassette. And they look really good, but they're not authorized. Like I looked online, and uh, like I, there was actually a statement from Relapse Records saying that these cassette releases were completely bullshit. Like they were never authorized or anything. Being a vinyl collector, um, I've gotten into that with 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 a lot of uh, records. And and you go to Discogs.com and look it up, and you'll see it'll it'll say like the the latest pressing is un unofficial. And so some some label in another country is pressing it probably just taking the cd audio and pressing it and yeah you get this really oh. shitty quality i got i bought some mr bungle vinyl and um it's just like direct from cd to pressing pretty much bootleg but you'd never know because you can actually buy it on amazon right and and things like that so yeah you have to kind of watch out for that kind of thing yeah it's when you get annoying. that doesn't that piss you off oh it really pisses me off yeah oh dude Oh, yeah, it does. I was trying to get this Neil Young album called Harvest Moon on oh, yeah. vinyl, and it's completely out of print until very recently. And uh, a label pressed it, and I got excited, and I, I saw a copy that was under $100. And I'm like, oh, I can't spend more than 40 bucks for this thing. So like 40 50 bucks, I'm seeing it on eBay. And then I looked it up, and it was an unofficial thing. And I was terrified to buy it because I thought, I'm going to get some dumb it's gonna sound bad. Dumb yeah. copy, yeah. And then Record Store Day this this past year, they released it, the real version. It's a uh, two LPs, and one of the sides is a sketched on the LP, so it's really cool. It's so neat. now I've I spent twenty five dollars and got a real version, so I'm thankful I waited. But oh, okay, yeah, I was that, gonna say because if you didn't really have it, I was <laughs> I was gonna say I have a couple copies. I was gonna sell you one. Oh man, what the bootleg one? No, 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 no. <laughs> You're the guy that pressed it. So you guys can work that out yourselves. Um, <laughs> you ready to blow through this feedback, Dan? Yeah, Dude. Joe's giving us the oh, death stare. Sorry, I keep sorry. interrupting you guys. No, so it's okay, no, no it, you're supposed it, it to. That, it, it's your episode, man. That's that's why you're here. It's my episode. You're the Mine. star, damn it. The only person yeah. that gets beaten on this show for interrupting people is Jeff, and yes. sometimes me. I want to apologize in advance if nobody downloads this episode. <laughs> oh, they will, dude. They will. I really like Vengeance, but I don't want to listen to Steven talk about them. <laughs> right. Jesus Christ. Yeah, no. All right, Dan. <laughs> yeah. We got some feedback here. So in regards to episode 28, the Mars Volta with Andrew Schwab, lesser of two evils on Twitter, said he was working my way through these. Francis the Mute has a lot of great stuff, but four minutes of tree frogs? Bullshit. <laughs> they hadn't developed the ability to focus even a little at this point. Best and worst quality. I had to listen to more than a few defend its merits back then. My thoughts on the Mars Volta albums range from absolutely love to it's cool, but more for background music. Kind of think Amputexture is a bit underrated. Hashtag Frushante the Man. Hashtag RHCP discussion. Hashtag from autumn to ashes someday. Well, I'm okay we'll with We'll do that. We'll yeah, do that one. Yeah. yeah, I'll do from autumn to ashes, but Red Hot Chili Peppers discussion. We need our buddy Sean on that one. He'll yeah, school everybody. I don't know about all that. 
<laughs> I don't know why anybody wants to hear me talk about Red Hot Chili Peppers for an hour, but California, California. Could you believe that we're from California? Yeah, yeah. like I mean, well, I'll be str- I'll be honest with you. I th- I would be interested in hearing some some discographies discussed by non-metal bands because you have the title that you could basically do any band, right? Um, but like, sometimes I'm wondering, like, I wonder if they would do like Tool or. Oh, that one's been you know, on the back burner for like, a while. We're Melvins. thinking about it. You know, Melvins it would be funny would be if fun. you did the Melvins discography because I think they have like 200 albums. So it would be a, it would be an interesting conversation. <laughs> That'd be a marathon. Dude, I'm, ar- I'm already like dreading the Napalm Death episode that's inevitably going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And like, what are we going to say? Too. Like, okay, this album was fast. It was aggressive. It was heavy. Okay, so the next album was fast, aggressive, heavy. The next album was a little weird. Okay, now they're back to fast, aggressive, heavy. I saw Napalm Death in 99, and they were not aggressive and heavy. And I was really bummed out because I had seen them. They headlined a show, and I went to see a band called Today is the Day. They were playing a – It was so it was 99, so it was uh, their In the Eyes of God album. It was the guys from Mastodon were playing with them. And um, so, yeah, I went to see them, and I loved them. But then Napalm Death headlined, and it was like – They were kind of like slow – Almost like uh, like groove metal, rock a rock band or something. It wasn't it wasn't it wasn't the grindcore stuff that they're known for. Interesting. They're and I remember standing there phase. like well, I thought this was a heavy band, right? Weird. I mean, they were False heavy, advertising. They yeah, yeah. I was super, I, I I saw them right at the worst possible time. You could see them, and then I because of that show for years, I just stayed away from them, and then discovered them later and i was like what the heck man this band is amazing like what was i what did i see so yeah yeah there there would be a cool band to hear about you saw a band's midlife crisis is what you saw (laughs) exactly we got a youtube comment in regards to episode 51 metalcore metallic hardcore with the telestai oh yeah max nystrom okay so metallic hardcore more punk than metalcore to which i said because i think i know what he meant interesting point now that i think about it that is a very good observation. Well, I'm going to throw a solid maybe out on that one. I think metallic hardcore and metalcore, I, th- I honestly just feel like metallic hardcore was the term for metalcore before we called it metalcore, but that's just me. Well, I think the point he was making was one is definitely more punk rock in its roots. The other became the more mainstream kill switch engaged Right, well, bands. like the, the bands that just play nothing but like Gothenburg riffs and breakdowns, like that's definitely metalcore, but like your metallic hardcore would be your stuff like Converge or... Shy Halud and Strong Arm and stuff like that. Earth Crisis, you know, those kind of bands. Even even old Zayo could fall into that. And then we got a tweet from Alt1. I think he's trying to write the intro for me. Um, <laughs> and if you enjoy listening to Korn's The Path of Totality, then you are ready to get the hell out of Joe's house. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Dan is a metal aficionado. A lot of these band names Thank you guys you. are throwing out, I'm like, who? But Dan has heard them all. Freaky. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. That's your new title, um, Dan, the metal to, aficionado. I listen to a lot of bands. Yeah, like, Dan doesn't need his ego inflated anymore. Besides <laughs> half of those weird-ass bands that he knows, it's because I told him about them. Whatever, man. I <laughs> I printed that tweet off and put it on my refrigerator. I'm sure you did. Speaking of tweets that I printed off and put on the refrigerator, I'm going to read this or I can let Jeff read it. We got a uh, nice tweet from... Uh, DJ? DJ who? DJ Sacrifice. DJ Sacrifice. Yeah. My hero, man. He retweeted our episode 51 and said... uh, He said, listen, 
follow. Thanks. DJ, thank you so much, man. Like, we, we really... Um, we are awed by your presence. So, yeah, uh, and he's uh, thank he, you for the messages. Thank you for the kind words. He's amazing. He's one of the most down to earth dudes ever, and I love his vocals. But I also just love the man, the man, the myth, the legend. I mean, I mean he has to be a great guy because I mean, truthfully, I, I was kind of uh, a non-existent kind of. I was more than a little kind of sort of rough on the vocals on that. You talk about a gracious individual. That's the man. He, yeah. I think he's heard it for about 20 years, 25 years now. That Yeah, he was super cool about that, it. He was just like, yeah, 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 you know. It's not my favorite either, but so what? Well, him and uh, the guys from Tetelestai might be cooking up something really cool in regards to that. So, And you should check our episode out for yeah, exclusive for some details. <laughs> yeah. And if I may just real quick interject, uh, that band's really awesome. And the fact that they got DJ to, to come out of retirement. And sing on there is seriously one of the coolest things I've heard in years. I'm just like, bravo, dudes. So we got one more. Back to Twitter. In regards to episode 31, Caius with Trey Suter. He went way back. Lesser of two evils. I guess Equals. he really is going back. Caius. You guys did Caius? Yeah, yes, dude. we did. I need to hear that. Catching up on your Caius chat, I'm quite sure I read somewhere that Josh Holm used a bass amp to record his guitars. At least on some of the early stuff. It was on Blues for the Red Sun, down-tuned guitars into bass amplifiers for the distortion featured on the album. Thanks, Wiki! Yeah, Wikipedia is a great thing. You know, that's a good point. I wonder why all the heavy punk rock guitarists, they like to sneak in bass amps during recording, because, you know, I'm thinking of, like, uh, I'm thinking of um, the Misfits, etc. But then all the heavy bass players use guitar amps. Lemmy! I think we're being sold a lie here, Dan. Yeah. Have I been buying the wrong amps all these years? I don't talk to bass players or about them, so I don't know. Uh, Unless their name's Josh Toomey. Yeah. Caius probably couldn't afford, or couldn't afford a, um, an orange amp back then. That's probably half the problem. Right. They're, they seemed a little strung out. That was a great. That was one of one of <laughs> one of my personal favorite episodes of ours. Actually, was the uh, was the Caius episode with Trey Suter from Rift. Is that because I wasn't there? Yeah. If you guys haven't checked out Rift yet, you really need to. Um, Trey Suter, awesome dude, and we really need to have him back. So we heard Steven's rundown. I'm going to turn back to Dan and say, tell me about Vengeance Rising. Okay, so Vengeance Rising is a band that I checked out probably a few years ago. A buddy of mine named Tom, not a few years ago, like 15 years ago. But um, Hey, that's a few for some I, well, of us. Well, I got into the band after the party was over, if that makes sense. Uh, so, And that, that's that's typically my history is I got into a lot of these older Christian thrash bands like way after the fact. And um, Vengeance Rising was interesting because a buddy of mine named Tom was really into Living Sacrifice. And uh, he bought a whole bunch of Living Sacrifice albums. I remember when he bought Reborn, we were at like a Christian rock festival and there was a seller there that was selling metal CDs and he sold him Reborn. And then he threw in a copy of Human Sacrifice by Vengeance Rising for free. Um, a cassette copy, actually. And uh, so me and Tom went home and listened to it, and Tom didn't like it so much. So he he's like, here, listen to this. You know, Let me know what you think. And uh, basically how that ended up coming about was I popped it in to listen to it, and I was totally weirded out because I'd never heard anything like it before. So like what, what Steven was saying earlier about like you have to put yourself in that mindset of not hearing it 
Like, I mean, I think the heaviest band I'd heard at that point was Living Sacrifice. And um, maybe some of the Mortification stuff. And actually, it reminded me a little bit of the early Mortification stuff, but it was more... It was more thrash, less death metal. And the thing that the thing that stood out to me the most about Human Sacrifice when I first heard it was the vocals are weird. Like they're good and they're extreme and they're aggressive, but it's just weird. And um, mm-hmm. Roger Martinez had this like growl to his voice, kind of like kind of like something you'd hear from like early Creator, um, or you know like some some of that really old stuff. Um, the music was like, like if you took like schizophrenia era Sepultura and mixed it with a little bit of Slayer, like you would have kind of their thrash metal sound, but like they, they soloed all over the place all the time. It was like the most guitar solos I heard on a CD and like, it's all like really weird, like bluesy based guitar solos. And it like really creates a, a, a pretty heavy sound for your traditional thrash metal. And so I was kind of like, wow, this is really cool. This is kind of like some of the other old bands that I, that I like. And uh, so I kind of kept with it. And, you know, it wasn't very long until I ended up getting, you know, Once Dead. And then I got uh, Released Upon the Earth. And then I got Destruction Comes. And it was just like really cool. Uh, I really liked Once Dead a lot. And then um, it just kind of went from there. My appreciation for the band, you know, went up. They kind of came back a while later, which we'll get into a little bit later in the discussion, but basically they came back as a band called Once Dead without Roger Martinez, and again, there's a reason for that, and we'll get into that a little bit later. I had heard them, like most thrash-based bands, but like more underground thrash-based bands, I hadn't really listened to them in depth. I knew they were a thing. Yeah, I actually kind of have an interesting story, and it was actually, uh, it has to do around the grandmother who bought me the Carmen CDs. <laughs> Remember what I said about Carmen San Diego? She just, this, she I got just, it here. She just threw a, a human sacrifice in there? <laughs> well, no, 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 she... Recommended if you like. Is this she, like when Dan was eight years old and his parents bought him a copy of Bleach? Right. She had uh, such an aversion to this band in particular back in the day. Uh, because it had, it had been brought up about how this was uh, the devil's music infiltrating the church. And uh, she used this band regularly as an, as a, an example of uh, what the devil's music sounds like and how terrible uh, how terrible it is, essentially. Has she listened to our Pig Destroyer episode that came out last week? Uh, no, unfortunately, she's passed away, so she can't. But um, that was meant as a rhetorical question, Jeffrey. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's our first episode with the disclaimer on it. I think she would have approved. <laughs> That's my last joke. No, but she, you know, <laughs> because she said all those terrible things, uh, it made me curious. Is what it ended up doing. I mean, if once it's as soon as it's the f- forbidden fruit, you gotta you gotta have a bite, you know. I try. I try to be really careful as a as a as a new parent with that theory, to to be like, I gotta watch out how hard I say no about stuff because I know my kids are gonna respond that way. Yeah, I mean, I could see how people thought that Roger <laughs> Martinez it. sounded like the devil, because like you didn't have that. Like, because Christian metal at that point was like, you know, your Baron Cross, your Leviticus 
Striper, you know, like stuff like that. It Are you guys familiar with uh, Bob Beeman? Yeah, Pastor Bob. Pastor Bob Beeman. Yep. Yeah, he he he's the guy who's always in one of the little sleeves of the, all the cassettes of of the Intense Records bands. Yep. He was like the Christian metal pastor of that industry. And um, I'm only bringing him up because what you were just saying, um, he was actually one of the people who helped who helped create Vengeance Rising. He he was kind of involved with them. You know, they were almost like ministry first. What? How do we reach the kids? Let's start a metal band. And he was sort of involved with that. And he actually went on record saying that when he heard Vengeance being involved with helping them create Vengeance, he he actually had second thoughts about it because he was driving home going, "This sounds way more satanic than I, I was expecting." Them right, to sound. right. <laughs> and he actually had second thoughts like, "Holy shit, what am I getting involved in here?" Because this might actually be a really uh, controversial situation I'm getting myself in. Um, so yeah, it's it's funny that you say that because because even people involved were feeling that way. Well, that's his hand on the cover of the album, isn't it? Yeah, Are we it ready is. to it's talk just... about human sacrifice? Yeah, then? yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, all of the Eddie Van Halen fans in the room will turn their heads for at least the next fifteen seconds. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, it's sloppy. It is a little sloppy, but like a that's little. What I, but that's what I like about it. I thought Human Sacrifice sounded sloppy, but like in a good way, like a real performance kind of way. Totally, man. I, I, the punk side of me loves it for that. Bob Beeman's hand is the is the model on the cover, and it's actually not just his hand; it's a mold of his hand. And um, very recently, he told a story about dropping that mold on the floor, and actually the fingers broke off. And oh, right no. now. Right now, if you see the mold, it's just it's just the hand giving the bird. It's the middle finger sticking out. <laughs> that's a, be- this that's is a, a better true story. Cover. That's oh, a better that's cover. So awesome. Yeah. Is that the cover of the story, next that, record, yeah. Vengeance Falling? <laughs> that's the best I got. Well, and originally it was released just as Vengeance. The band was just called Vengeance. So when did the change happen? Pretty soon after. Well, the, the story I heard was that there was another band back then that was maybe more... Uh, uh, established at the time, but but didn't go anywhere with it. That sued them for the for the name, and then they changed it to Vengeance Rising. And I, I think both names are really cool. Like I have a I have a hard time going like which one's cooler? Because you know you go like Vengeance, that sounds really awesome. But then you're like Vengeance Rising, and still sounds really epic. So I think they won no matter which way they went with it. Yeah, like I prefer Vengeance just because it's easier for me to say, and I'm lazy. But um... <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, Human Sacrifice was crazy to me. Like, the, it, like I mean, the record starts off and it's just these crazy solos. And like, get used to that because they're everywhere, especially on the first two records, where it's just like everybody is trying to display everything that they have as quickly as they can. And um, Roger Martinez's voice comes in and it's just like otherworldly, but it's not like a death metal grunt, you know? Like, it's not like, it's not the generic thing that you get out of heavy bands. You know, especially that time period, it was weird sounding. It was like, um, almost like liquid sounding. Like if that makes sense, like um, it's just very all over the place. But like it's not like, like it's gruff, it's raspy. But at the same time, like his voice just kind of flows in and out of the songs. And it's actually a really good vocal performance because, again, it sounds a little bit sloppy, but in a punk rock sense, it sounds really cool the band is very spastic you go from shredding thrash metal 
punk to I'm not going to say death metal or grindcore, but just heavy vocals. It kind of predates death metal, though, if you think about it. I mean, it's it's sort of like the very it's right there in the beginning. I mean, like bands like Death didn't even really have that death metal sound yet. Yeah, it was even, just shouting like the first one or yeah. two. Yeah, it was like like Cannibal Corpse and things like that that were, were how how we think of death metal didn't really get there until like the early early nineties. And this is '88, so I mean, it's kind of like the one of the, I would say one of the first death metal albums that that's kind of creating that that uh, that sound. You know, it wasn't quite there yet. Yeah, Carcass is the only thing I could think of that was out at that time that sounded even remotely similar. But this is yeah. a lot more that this is a lot more listenable than what Carcass was putting out that year. I, I like uh, I like that Carcass stuff just because uh, the same reason why you like uh, cheesy B flick you know horror flicks. But this was different too in the totally. sense that like yeah. this is early Christian metal, so you've got that like really satanic sounding vocal and thrash metal, which most church people don't approve of. But the lyrics were really um, overly evangelical. Yeah, I mean, I should tell you guys, I'm I'm a I'm I'm a pretty conservative Christian, and um, what's interesting as an adult um, listening back to some of my older Christian albums uh, lyrically is "Vengeance" is probably the only one that sticks out to me that actually has some sort of a doctrinal theology, a solid theology behind the lyrics. It's not just very simple, um, you know. Your typical Christian, uh, you know, the lyrics that are that are very commonly sung amongst the many Christian artists. Like their stuff was a little deeper um, lyrically. There was a little, there was a theology behind it, and um, I didn't get that growing up. It, to me, it just seemed like real, real. Um, I mean, it was ultimately Christian. Obviously, I noticed that growing up, but it, but but as an adult that kind of understands a little bit more about theology and doctrine and stuff, it. They, uh, Martinez was definitely singing uh, from a person who has been who's very educated. It was the lyrics were different for sure than than a lot of Christian music growing up. A lot of the simple surface level Christian lyrics, you know what I mean? Yeah, and like they weren't afraid to go for the throat on stuff too. Like there's burn, mm-hmm. there's burn Satan, burn. You know, like that's that's not what you got yeah. out of Striper. That's not what I mean. You had to hell with the devil and stuff like that, but like. This was like one of those weird exceptions where it was like almost acceptable to have like violent lyrics towards like otherworldly forces, which was which yeah. I think really made them really unique. And but like some of the lyrics actually like were almost a little too hardcore. Like I didn't know anything about drugs until I heard Mulligan Stew. You know what I mean? I didn't know what the eight ball reference <laughs> yeah. was until years later. <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm thinking a pool ball, you know, like in, yeah, and here. I'm listening to all this stuff, and he's like <laughs> talking about blow and eight balls and like all this kind of shit. And um, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's weird it's because funny. like you had to, you had to know, you had to at least, at the very least, on a surface level, you had to know what you were talking about, you know, in order to it, because I know like the sanctuary church and everything that they were associated with, with and with Pastor Bob Beeman, they were trying to get drug addicts to come in. You know, they yeah. were trying to get you know metalheads in the '80s to come in and, and rehabilitate. And a band like Vengeance Rising was like they had the edge that all the newer bands had. 
but they were Christian. They had they had a totally different message, and I thought that was really that was really unique at the time. I mean, now Christian heavy music is kind of a trope, like it's expected to be there. But like back when this came out, I mean, I can only imagine what the impact must have been. You know, with people that with people that yeah. weren't Christians and people that were, because like the lyrics are <clears throat> the lyrics are cheesy. There's no doubt about that. But that's more because it was 1988. I think at the time. It, it sounded pretty modern, and I think it. I think it probably really did connect with people that wouldn't necessarily have listened to Christian music before that. Again, I have to say, when you're when you're um, you're used to your heaviest music is Striper, and 1988 guys. I mean, think about what was out there, <laughs> even in the mainstream. 1988. Well, I was two. I so. mean, you had Slayer. You had you had a few a few you know Metallica, of course, and you know things like that, but. Nothing was like this, and for for Christian music to have a record that was this um, uh, heavy and extreme, and and just sort of um, the production uh, being there's almost a sludginess to it. Like there's um like a the guitars on that record have a real um I feel like they fit in with a lot of like sludgier kind of doom type tones of, of albums that I've heard come after. There's just something sludgy about it. I don't know how to describe it. That's the blues that I was talking about too, the, the strong blues influence on it. The blues for sure, yeah. And but even just the distortion on the guitars and the the the, the big room sound that's on it. Right. See, I don't know that you can say this wasn't around because the elements that make up this first album were all over the place, especially in the eighties. Uh, insert name of any hair band. Eddie Van Halen, Metallica, yes, and Justice is that, for All is, that what is you kind meant by of that? the. I wasn't sure what you meant. Oh yeah, the, just the constant guitar wankery of bluesiness. That's that's Van Halen in the '80s. That's 1984. That's Panama. Yeah. That those types of songs. I'm not going to list their entire discography. Everybody knows their greatest hits. Um, I would I would say Deep Purple and Led Zeppelin that are, as well are major influences on these guys. We'll get into Deep Purple. Oh my later. god. <laughs> I so, we sure will. And when we go trucking into space, with the exception oh. of the vocals, this is <laughs> really <into> common. <laughs> oh, dude, you yeah. have no idea. <laughs> uh, it's important to it's important to realize though, and and it's really obvious now as an adult. But growing up, you don't think about this stuff. But but as an adult, I can say, you have a, a one guy who's interested in being the heaviest, most death metal thing ever, and that's the singer. And you have a band who had a phase. Of being wanting to be that, but ultimately was coming from uh, classic rock influences and um, wanting to be a, a really good rock band. So you have this weird phase where they they, they wanted to. Um, Roger Martinez, I think, was purely like, I want to be I want to be the king of Christian death metal, and then you have these other guys that are like, we want to we want to witness and reach out as to as many kids who are lost and hurting in, in that scene as possible. For them, I think it was an issue of we want to we want to be we want to we were, we're approaching this as a as a uh, um, a thought out package of ministry, and they they attempted to be that, but I think Roger was was that. So I think you get this weird, happy medium where where they all were on the same page at the same time, but Roger was uh, Martinez was was more honestly a death metal guy than those other guys were. 
you get yeah. this weird mix of where they're you can hear the influences from other bands but you can they were clearly trying to push that heaviness and i think that's the very reason why a band like this would have been stepped over at that time because at that time it's easy it's the stigma you're a christian band we don't want anything to do with you and now we can look back and see how good the record is and how good the musicianship and how good the songs are even though it's the anomaly of this band's discography but at the time that's an easy step over because at that point the battle that they were fighting was we're the Christian band that wants to hang out in the club too because we're appealing to the people that need the appeal yeah and I think they were successful in that I don't think there was an issue really where they were they were um, not respected because I think that um, when you hear songs like Fatal Delay and, and, and Beheaded and, of course, the first song, I think it's kind of hard to listen to it and not give it its, its credit of being just like absolutely grind teeth grindingly badass. I mean, there's 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 riffs on that record that that I don't know how guys like Slayer. I'm mean, not that not that I'm even aware of if they were aware of being on the radar of Vengeance Rising, but I, I, I'd be hard-pressed to think that the the mainstream metal bands of 1988, so you're thinking, like, this is, might even just be before Injustice for All. I'm not sure what... I think that's, like, what, 88 or 89? 88. Um, yeah, so it's around that time. I'd, I'd be hard-pressed to believe that those guys wouldn't hear this record and think, like, dude, this is some up upcoming underground band that's gonna be good that's gonna blow up like some of the riffs on that record are just so so undeniably heavy and and don't sound like christian music in any sense that um i don't know man i just think that uh it would surprise me that i think their biggest struggle probably was that they were trying to play to christians you know well i I think that's i think that's why it was listenable though like i mean if you listen to the songs on human sacrifice they have hooks you know, it's not like it's not like Mortification's self-titled album where it's just like thrash you to death from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. There's some melodic passages in the songs. There's there's breaks. There's uh, there's a lot of like really catch. I mean, just listen to Human Sacrifice and try to get that shit out of your head after you hear that song. You know, like it's impossible. Just as a sidebar, too, I don't know if you guys know this, but Roger Martinez produced that first Mortification album. He actually went to australia and, and was involved in that and i think his mission back then was to get more bands to be extreme like that and and that first mortification when i first heard it i remember feeling the same way as vengeance it's like terrifying. this is extreme stuff yeah the vocals were really extreme even more so than vengeance it, i thought do you remember a time when mortification was a band that people took seriously <laughs> sorry that's totally off topic but yeah it's uh it's just Jason crazy sherlock because i remember thinking <laughs> i remember thinking that first mortification album i mean i remember like my first thought was you know because like the mortification that i'd heard at that time like around when i heard vengeance like i said like i was listening to like new metal and stuff like that before and i was thinking stuff like project 86 and pod were like as heavy as it got and then i heard living sacrifice wow. and that kind of yeah. opened up the that kind of opened up the door for like more extreme music and then i heard you know human sacrifice by vengeance rising and so i was like huh well, i wonder what mortification sounded like back in 1990 something you know and uh so i went back and i listened to the self-titled and i remember my first thought was like fuck vengeance like this is insane there was this promotional cassette called art for the ears 
that came out. It was an Intense Records. Basically, it was an Intense Records um, um, sampler. What do you call it? A sampler CD that was kind of like a almost a resume of well, here's what we have been doing. And it was called Art for the Ears, and it was the metal version. And that's when I first heard of Mortification because it was actually like this. It was, we were getting a tour of like what was going on at that time. Right. And when they played um, the first Mortification album, and I first heard that like it was Brutal Warfare they were playing. It was that, you know, when he comes in with that demon forces, they will bow. I remember just being like, holy crap, this is like so heavy. And um, it, it's just so bizarre to me that, that, there was such a short window of that kind of stuff. Like it, uh, it, I guess with the bands like tooth and nail records, you know, things like that coming up and living sacrifice kind of switched to more of a hardcore sound. And there was a real small window of, of extremely death metal type stuff coming out, but it was cause when tooth and nail took over, it was all hardcore. Yeah. Like if you, if you're only getting into heavy music in the nineties and you are like the mid nineties or late nineties. And then you go backwards, you'll find it. It gets heavier. I think it does in some, in some way or more extreme, I should say, maybe not the production, but the, the musical style, you know, well, they were pushing the boundaries, you know, vengeance and mortification at the same time. were pushing the boundaries of what Christian extreme music could actually be. And, um, and that, that was really cool. I know like Roger did a, Roger did a vocal cameo on the song. I think it was Satan's doom. On the first uh, Mortification album, and because uh, yeah, you can yeah. you can kind of hear him growling in the background. But what was interesting about Human Sacrifice to go back to that was that you know it was catchy as hell, and I think that is how it caught hold with the Christian market in the sense that it was a little bit more listenable. Like if you show the average Christian like you know Scrolls of the Megaloth, they're going to be like, ah, that's too far removed from me. Yeah, but. Vengeance was the interesting combination of, yes, it is extreme metal. However, it's catchy. It has melody in it, and the you know the guitar players can shred. Yeah, it's like this. It's like this perfect marriage of like it's dated, and there's and like you would never hear a new Vengeance album coming out on like Solid State Records, but at the same time, it's extremely brutal, and. In some ways, the musicianship was like, like, like. Okay, Unteachers, my band, we we released a seven inch. We recovered, filled this place with blood, because we thought that song was so completely badass and so heavy and so intense. And I just remember being like, we've got to play it because there's almost a punk energy to it too. And we pl- so we covered it. And you know what's funny is we didn't even make it any heavier than it already was. It was already, it's still heavier than our version, and it's still more kick you in the teeth heavy than our version and we tried and we even added blast beats travis blast beat it through some of it <laughs> we still couldn't get it as heavy as that that original take because those dudes were slaying with the guitars they we we took a more um you know punk edge to it but those guys were, were like strumming so fast and so heavy that we couldn't even in 2000 whatever year it was 2014 12 whatever i don't remember when we did it but we couldn't even like we, we had all that time to improve it and we still couldn't improve it <laughs> you know what i mean well yeah and like that's uh i remember i got a text from jeff earlier this week that was like man these guys are heavy like these guys are brutal you know they really were and for a band that old i mean that's a pretty big compliment coming from jeff because he he is ultra modern 
on a lot of yeah. on a lot of his metal uh, appreciation, and so to hear him say that, like, dude, these guys are brutal. Like it really yeah. says a lot to what they had going on. I, I was teasing Dan. I said, maybe that wasn't the brutal I was meaning. No. <laughs> We all know what you meant. Well, I heard yeah. the record. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I meant cheese. No. Um, but, you Brutal know, cheese. that's kind of the ultimate test, too, is like, can you introduce this to somebody who, who didn't come up on it? And that's not to, to disrespect anybody, but it's just to say, like, you know, like, you know, I know a lot of people who are just not, you know, their heavy music started with, with um, Zayo and bands like that, you know. and Guilty. And I would say... If you, yeah, totally. So like, and that's what's interesting about this conversation is like, I, I was just this weird freakish uh, middle ground where I was young and impressionable, but had all these people around me showing it to me at an age where it was kind of at the moment it was happening. But I know people just a few years later that didn't experience heavy music until Zayo and Solid State Records. But it, it, the test of time for me is, is can you get these people to listen to that? And, and to appreciate, to really examine, like, this is this is heavy, regardless of if I can pick apart the fact that it's dated or if the production isn't modern or whatever. And that's that's ultimately what matters. So if you can listen to it and go, man, this is intense. And, and, and honestly, like, you know, Zayo and bands like that are doing something heavy and intense that's different, but... But they're not doing this kind of thing. This is this is a, uh, also a musicianship that you don't hear anymore. You know, um, strumming those guitars as fast as they do, and that's why there's bands like Slayer and Metallica that there isn't so many of them. And there, I mean, there's a there's an underground current of bands that are throwback and death metal, but but in terms of just um, you know, like in the mid '90s and all that, there there was a drop off of that stuff. You know, death started that way, but then they got more technical. And, and things like that and then you know sort of a there's always this weird modern twist everything where you know around the mid 90s things changed and it was like oh let's do what Seattle's doing or let's do it's with uh, California's uh, like Los Angeles has a scene and let's do you know things went more of a hardcore and then there was always that west coast versus east coast uh, punk thing and there was all that modern stuff happening but before all that there was so much the metal was so underground and, and fast and furious and it just sort of it's either like really underground now, but it never really like stayed on the top. You know what I mean? It never stayed mainstream. Even Metallica, like what did they do? Like they did Injustice for All, and then they did the Black Album. By '91, they were they were already done, slaying like they used to. So you know, it's it's interesting how how things have changed, and and to have kids at this age go, well, let me let me hear Vengeance now, and let me try to put my mind in this in the zone of like 1988, what that was like. And and uh, and uh, and being forty and being somebody who's like, look, I was like eleven or twelve when this thing came out. Like, I always have to preface like, this is seriously like intense music. Like, whether you can examine it now or not, you know what I mean. Um, I'm just very nostalgic in that way, and I can appreciate it still in that way. Even though I can pick it pick it apart now and go, there's there's some things I can, as a forty year old, I can go, wait a minute. I can I can tell this was like like for example uh, in in the song Burn Satan Burn, you notice there's a vocal mistake on that. He starts to say something and then it just cuts into and the solo. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I've never heard anybody mention it, and it's been like this weird kind of thing where no one you never in in all the reviews I've heard and all the people just fans talking about it, you never no one's ever said. What's up? Why didn't they cut that? Yeah, they or just left they it on the record. It? Yeah, it's... they left it on the record. Yeah, and I don't know if they just didn't catch it because it's something that you can easily do. You can, 
you're so there's so much going on in the studio that sometimes you you can't i mean i can even say with the tantrum albums i could point out stuff and go that wasn't supposed to be there but like um you know i listen to it now and it's so obvious and it cracks me up but again that's i think i love that about that like it's just honest and it's not overproduced i think overproduced is the problem for me so when things get to be perfect you know yeah well i know in 1990 when seattle was getting ready to take over once dead was definitely not what they were doing in seattle right it's one of those like how do they top human sacrifice at this point i mean that record had you know everything that we just said you know and and more like that record was so phenomenal so like how do you how do you follow that up? Here's how you follow it up. You put your album cover, you make zombies on your <laughs> album cover, and then you get banned from from your record stores. That's, That's the next step. It. Get banned from Christian bookstores. All right, Christian checked off the list. Stores, yeah. Step Here's three. Step profit. three, profit. Yeah, like, you know, they are. Uh, <laughs> man, no, no, pl- pl- no publicity is, or what does they say that about, like, bad publicity? It's no publicity is bad publicity or whatever. Right. That kind of works in this regard. Once Dead is just a nut job of an album. I mean, it's, uh, you know, like you start off with Warfare and they're doing the Lord's Prayer and he's doing it in the growl. Like, how many people did that piss off? You know, like, I mean, our father who are to the answer the answer is a lot yeah like it was uh it couldn't be anything worse than what dave mustaine was doing on trust right i know but it was just one of those like wow man they're like really kind of almost stepping up the controversy game on this well i think that's kind of when that record came out i distinctly remember the album cover being a serious problem and they were not able to market that thing because it was just unheard of Again, I mean, they were, they were, they didn't belong in the scene they were in. They, they really could have just went toe to toe with, with, with Cannibal Corpse and all that. Because, I mean, granted, the Christian lyrics, but they looked and sounded nothing like what was the Christian scene was about to accept. I mean, they would not even sell that thing in the stores. It was, I'm amazed that I even got it on cassette because I remember just hearing all over the place, like, this record is, the cover art is just untouchable. You can't get it. It's it's uh, you know, band, <laughs> the big B word, band. You know what I mean? Well, we mentioned context. We mentioned how important that was, and especially at that time, you either fit the mold of what a Christian artist was, or you tried to hang out with the big boys. And if you were hanging out in the middle trying to make it work, it doesn't really end well. With yeah. limited exception. Tourniquet's still around. Raw vagina. <laughs> but you know... <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I met uh, I, I met Roger Martinez. So here's the thing. Like, So like, I went to Creation Fest. You guys ever heard of Creation Festival? It's like Cornerstone, but it's way bigger because it's more... Um, it's a little bit more uh, family accessible. It's not... They don't put a lot of the heavier bands and stuff like that in there. It's a little bit more like of the... The, the billboard topping stuff like newsboys and stuff so anyway i went there in uh many years but the one year i went there was 92 i think it was 92 whatever year released upon the earth came out and um i'm sorry that that record came out that year i uh, thank you thank you <laughs> i was i was walking around with my boom box i had my boom box on my shoulder and i was blaring death uh destruction comes actually ah uh, the 90s and, yeah, I'm literally like that guy walking around and like, you know, no one else in that entire festival wanted to listen to the stuff like that. And they were telling <laughs> me to turn it down and all. And I'm walking around and I walked up to the one merch tent 
building, whatever it was, and there was Vengeance Rising had their entire merch booth set up, and Roger Martinez is standing there, and there's like literally 30 or 40 t-shirt designs. It was the craziest thing ever. Their t-shirts were the coolest thing ever. I wish I had bought every single one of them when I was there. Um, but uh, the reason I'm bringing this up is because uh, uh, they had on the table, Roger had put secular death metal CDs and then his stuff next to each other. <laughs> and and the purpose for this was so you could read the lyric differences and go like, see, what a shit we are doing something Christian here. And so he had Cannibal Corpse's um, Eaten Back to Life cover. And this is pro- actually, this is how I got into Cannibal Corpse. There must have not. been Christians <laughs> puking at that artwork. <laughs> oh my God, you have to be at Creation Festival. You're walking around, you know, Amy Grant was playing the main stage. And you know it was like uh, it was like Audio Adrenaline was coming out and Newsboys and and like all the '90s CCM Billboard stuff. It was not Vengeance, you know. And in fact, they didn't even have, you know, like this is predating Tooth and Nail by a few years. And it was so there wasn't even like uh, Mortal and and Scattered Few and all that stuff wasn't even. There. It was this was like I don't even know what the hell they were doing there. Honestly, this was vanilla as hell. Yeah. It, it was like Vengeance maybe was on tour and was like, "Hey, let's do a little, let's do a little, uh, uh, um, let's go over to the corner uh, Creation Festival and see if we can get a gig there." And they were like, "No, so let's <laughs> just set up our booth anyway." I don't right. know what the hell they. So I walked up to Roger and I, I introduced myself. Said, "You know, I'm a big fan." He was very quiet, very short with me, but he said, "Thank you." And I said, "Are you guys playing?" And he said, "No, we're not allowed to play, but I'm preaching here." So he was doing a sermon. So of course I'm like, well, that's the next best thing, I guess, right? <laughs> Go see yeah, him I mean, you're all in a, at that point, sure. Preacher. So we got to, I got to actually listen to him preach, which is so crazy when you consider where things have gone further. Only but, if he preaches um, in the vengeance voice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, that might have been a little more uh, engaging. At the right. Time, but, yeah. But but yeah, but he had so he had eaten back to life on the on the merch table, and he had a couple of things like that, and his idea was like let, read their lyrics and listen to what they're saying, and then now compare it to my once dead album cover, and like you know can you see the difference? Now I mean I was I already realized that, but I guess you know moms and dads had to actually listen to the to the, you know compare them, and that's what he was there doing. He was there kind of promoting, you know preaching and and kind of reaching out and doing his thing, but but um. Yeah, it was just funny because when we talk about that album cover, it's like, man, I remember him literally having to campaign using the Cannibal Corpse covers to, to compare, which is crazy to think about and, and sad to think about, <laughs> you know? Right. But um, yeah, it, and and it's an interesting it's an interesting memory just meeting him and listening to him preach and just it all went over my head because he was so theologically deep at the time. And uh, that was a year of, uh, released upon the earth came out, and then I bought the cassette that year and was listening to it. And, and Bet it, that was and a it, shitty drive home. You know, it's funny. I got that and Scrolls in the Megaloth. <laughs> they both <laughs> there came go. out the same year, and I bought those two cassettes at that Creation Festival. And <laughs> Which I was one is to better both. than the other? Yeah, <laughs> easy decision. Yeah, but you know, it's funny when you're like when you're like you know as young as I was then, you don't you don't notice quality differences. So so like listening to Release Upon the Earth then was okay, right? It's only in, when you start to examine music now that you're like, wait, I was duped a little bit. <laughs> you know? Right. So, like, Once Dead is a record, I think is the perfect follow-up to Human Sacrifice. 
It's yeah, still I agree. more or less the yeah. It's still more or less the same band. You still have that heavy bluesy influence. You've got Roger doing. I don't even. I don't even know what the hell Roger's doing. And but it sounds good and it works. The only downside I'm going to throw on this record is that cover of Space Trucking. Yeah, that was bad. From this from this end of, of time, it's hard to it's yeah. Like then, of course, I didn't even know it was a cover back then because I didn't know who Deep Purple was when I was a kid. I should I should preface that this is the time where. Uh, you remember when I said a little while ago that you had guys that were going through a phase? This is where that really comes to a head. So you have an issue now where where, where the Roger is wanting to go more and more extreme. And the other guys are like, we kind of want to introduce some other elements to our sound. Like, So that's why you have Space Truck. And that's also why the vocal performance on Among the Dead is more melodic. I don't know if you ever picked up on that, where yeah. Roger's going, do you see the... And he's kind he's of like, doing like singing it, trying melody. to sing it, yeah. Yeah, and the reason for that was because the band was pushing him to do that. And they were saying, we really want you to, to kind of clean it up a little bit. And that's the sign of the times. That's the sign of where things were heading with these guys. It's they were, still that they way, were... man. It's still that way when you're when you're a hard when you're a heavy vocalist. It's still that way. There's there's always people pushing you to go melodic. You totally, yeah. Even if you don't want to do that. I mean, I remember that. Like even in my own band, there was a whole lot of like, why don't you sing more? And it's like, well, I just <laughs> yeah. that's not that's not what I want to do. I mean, I'm sure I could. I'm sure I could sit there and shit it out, you know, like make it make it sound good or whatever, but like that's not my focus. That's not why I showed up to practice today, you know, like I showed up because I want to be extreme. And and so it's interesting to see that like that aspect of heavy music has not really changed over the years. Yeah. There's still those people that are like, yeah, but we want to have a song that like we could play on the radio. I mean, essentially, you, you, what you have is one guy who's just living death metal, and you have the other guys that are like, you know, we want to. We're a we're a rock. We're a band. We we can do a lot of things with our music. Because the, the the truth is, and you, you'll find this out as you go listening to De- Destruction Comes and Release Upon the Earth, is that you had Roger Martinez was a was a a visionary vocalist with a sound but the band wasn't him the band they had he had a solid band behind him for those first two records but those band that band wanted to do more and wanted to do stuff that was different and runs dead is that perfect record where you hear them starting to really experiment and doing a lot of other things they started introducing their blues elements and their zeppelin elephant elements and um then you even have things like what's that one song where it's like real creepy? It's like a, is it the abyss? What am I? What am I talking about? What song is it? Into the abyss. Into the abyss, where it's where it's real. Um, yeah, there's a lot of experimentation going on. It isn't isn't as uh, straightforward as, as as human sacrifice. Yeah, it's a little different. And like, yeah, the backing band was really good. So now I don't know the whole story about what went down after this album. Because it was before my time, so it's before the time. Before but, uh, the time, but uh, no, like I, <laughs> I, it, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know what the whole story was behind that. But I understand that you were kind of on the mailing list during that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This, so, like, when you were, if you were a fan in the early '90s and you were on the mailing list, I wasn't on the mailing list, but Travis, my cousin, he was, and um, so he 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 was he uh, ordered some merchandise, some some shirts or something. And what he got was this this mail out pamphlet, this gigantic pile of papers stapled together, which was Roger Martinez 
kind of like having a coming out party of like, here's where I'm really at. And I'm done with this Christian thing. And I'm done with um, the band. The band, we're done. The band broke up. I'm moving forward with uh, with Vengeance as a satanic band. This was around Released Upon the Earth, I should say. It wasn't okay. before Destruction Comes. But but um, yeah, if you're on the mailing list, um, the breakup part didn't happen until two more albums later. But after Once Dead, what happened was... Um, Roger had had flown to Australia to work with more vacation, and when he came home, the other guys had had said to him, "We're done, we're moving on." And actually, he was happy about it because he wanted the control of vengeance. He wanted to keep pursuing what he his vision of just being extreme and being death metal. And I think there was a problem where they had him on a leash. And he kind of wanted to split the ways with that, and so at the time it seemed like a great idea. And I guess as you get, when you get that pamphlet years later, a couple of years later, you you find out that there was a lot of like, this is your your first introduction into the idea of like record label contracts and business and money problems and lawyers and stuff like that. Where you you know when you're a kid listening to albums, you don't know about that crap. So. Right. He, he he prints this out and exposes all this information and you realize that there was a there was a uh, an issue with like okay who owns the name of this band and and uh, if there's a debt that's already built up with this band you know who gets that debt and I don't know I don't know the full truth behind the story but the basic idea was that the guys said you know what we want to stop doing this and and Roger said I want to keep doing this and they said well you can keep doing this it's your name but it's also your debt. And so he said, you know what? Fine, I'm taking it. And he went on and he did Destruction Comes and and whatever would go forward. But but the other guys were done. And, they, and at this point, it becomes Roger rising. And uh, yeah, so there was like a split there. But I think, you know, they're all kids probably at this point. They're probably all in their early 20s at the latest. And um, they're probably... Th- very not business savvy and and i think that um so things like that with debt and 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 contracts and stuff i think it was a little sloppy and i think had they done it in their 30s or 40s they might have made a different decision but roger was like hey i'm taking this i'm gonna make this the we're gonna make this an empire (laughs) we're we're gonna make the vengeance empire i'm going forward and the other guys were like we're done right my understanding is that human sacrifice and once dead did moderately well as well as they could do considering they were an extreme christian metal band yeah yeah i mean they were definitely successful but it was the kind of successful that was like what's next what's coming next and at that right at that spot where they could have gone bigger and better they stopped do you think that roger had the idea that because human sacrifice and once dead did so well that he was going to easily be able to take care of that debt. I think, so. yeah, I think so. I mean, I think he felt like the best is yet to come, and and he was very confident because he can go straight and, death metal now. I mean, he just helped Mortification, who did moderately well again, as well as you could be do as an extreme Christian metal band. And I think he yeah. thought that you know this stuff's going to get heavier and heavier before it gets any softer. You know what I mean? Yeah, in his mind, I think he and and I kind of remember the reputation of Roger Martinez was that he was kind of like he was kind of like he put a stamp on a lot of things. Like he was sort of like um, by this point, he was doing vocal um, 
cameos on Deliverance. He was doing um, on the song "It's the Beat" on "What a Joke." Sacred Warrior. Williams. He did uh, the song yeah, the "Flood." He was on yeah. Mm-hmm. So he was kind of like the guy that everyone was like, "You're the the leader of this death metal extreme thing." We aren't quite prepared to go the full the full distance that you are going. But, we, you know, you're the man who we, we stamp and say, if there's a Roger Martinez uh, performance on our record, we're going to have a little bit more balls. For sure. That's kind of the, that's kind of the reputation I pick up from it. And, and I think at that time, like, he was sort of a little bit sought after for producing, like, Mortification and uh, Tourniquet. He did um, – he helped with Stop the Bleeding. Right, yeah. And Tourniquet. He was involved with that. So I think at that point in time, he was kind of like a like – a, the household name of christian extremism extreme uh, music you know so i think when the guy said hey you know what we want to go do some die happy type blues metal <laughs> <laughs> yeah we want to we do some christian alice and chains those are enjoyable like, records though yeah i mean i, I think die happy is a great band i didn't appreciate it then because i was on the roger side of the kool-aid drinking you know i was like i was like uh. man I, I just want things to be heavier and faster and um, and the thing about Vengeance is funny is like the album covers, the, the album art and the logos. And this is something I think that even Mortification was capable of doing was like you could think to yourself, this album might be good because you'll look at the cover art and you'll look at the you'll look at the logo and you'll and, you know, no matter how shitty Mortification was or had become, I should say, if, if they had that same logo and it had a really cool cover art. You'd think to yourself, this might be actually good. Yeah, it kept and me think, going for a long time with more, you know. Yeah, that that that's a thing. Like that's like if your if your album cover looks cool, you really can dupe yourself into thinking that the record's going to be cool. And so, I think that that played into it too. Like you had, you know, here I am. I'm like a fan of Vengeance. They've already done two amazing album covers. Now they're doing Destruction Comes, which is a controversial album cover. It's got this sticker over it because you can't even see the the human rot thing that's going on behind it. Um, and then you got Die Happy, and Die Happy's not doing that. They're doing something else. They're like hippies in comparison. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. So you're like, you're like, what are you gonna do when you're like 14, 15 years old? You know what I mean? You're gonna follow the freaky, weird shit with the with the rotting body on it, with the the cool Vengeance logo up top. You don't think about the deep stuff. You don't think about the fact that there was a an inner tor- turmoil that split the band up, and that Roger was literally. You didn't think about like when you flip over Venge- uh, Destruction Comes and you look at the back of it. It's just him standing there with a guitar. Yeah, you know, and, and like that album cover. That. I always think of that album cover now. You know, retroactively, like that is Roger. That's what's happened to him, man. It's, yeah, it's, it's like. He, it's like, did you even him. think about the fact that he didn't even play guitar? No, on on those first two albums. But all of a sudden, you buy Destruction Comes, you flip it over. There's the song list, and then there's him standing there with a guitar, right, and a bunch and, of hired like, hands. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, when you're younger, you don't even put that together. No, you just think I just got this. Roger. I just got this badass, you know, because it's one of those like if Roger Martinez is singing on it, then it's going to be just as good as everything else. Exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's that's the marketing genius of Vengeance Rising was they were able to dupe you into thinking. I mean, if you're at a certain age, they dupe you into thinking like this record's going to be just like the rest of them because it's Vengeance and the cover art's cool, and there's like a nice biting cover and there's a sticker covering it because it's moms and dads can't. It's so can't controversial. It. Yeah. 
yeah and it's called destruction comes and it's like epic and roger martinez is involved and you don't think about the fact that there was a solid band that 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 played on those first two records and they split there's so many stories there's so many lessons there for the young musician the underground musician the mainstream musician I feel like I could give a symposium on it, so let me do my best not to. Dear young musicians, if you're hanging out with your buds and you start a band, great. Musicians have the ability to kind of meld together. And even if one guy is doing something or not doing something that totally fits the mold, you can kind of mesh together and make that work. Most of the time, Mm -hmm. that's difficult to do with a vocalist that's not on board. So lesson number one is... If your buddy in the room who's singing isn't doing the thing that you think fits your music, you probably need to find a different vocalist. It doesn't mean you're not still friends. It means if it's not working for what you want to do creatively, that's probably not what you should be doing because it creates a lot of conflict, creates a lot of headache, creates a lot of controversy. Now, the other part of that is if something's working for you, why change it? If you're selling records and making money which is the point of working a job. And if music is your job, that's how you make money. Why change it if it's working? Just because you don't want to do the same thing again. Yeah. That's the second lesson. The third, if you want to go do something else to fulfill your creative needs, do it. Especially nowadays where it's really easy to make music that's totally different and put it out and go and play it for people. It won't hurt what you're already doing. And I could go on and on and on. But I'm thinking back to 1991. Everybody kind of latched on to what they wanted. And if you didn't want to do exactly what everybody else wanted to do, it was this huge issue and this huge conflict. And, well, then we're just going to stop. Well, I want to keep going and I want to be extreme. And for the lead vocalists in the room, if you're running the show, you get to decide how the vocals sound. Well, the vocals sounded fine. It's like (laughs) one of those, like, we've been building building this up, you know, the whole time. But then you listen to the record, and it's very notable or noticeable that this is not the same band that put out Human Sacrifice. This is not the same band that put out Once a Dead. Yeah, Roger's still in there, and he sounds good for the most part, but, like, it's almost like the record label didn't have as much confidence in this, so the sound quality is is reduced. There's this, like, focus on, like, we have to have long songs. Like, dude, You Can't Stop It goes on for fucking ever. It's called You Can't Stop It for a reason. I man. know, I can't. But I'm like I'm like I'm like, no, stop it. You know, like stop he it. You can't stop it. Someone needs to tell him you were allowed to stop this song before eight minutes. I just want you to know it's okay. But it just sounds like it sounds more slayer than it sounds anything else. It's the very yeah. first Vengeance album that I listened to and I'm like, this sounds directly like another band. My buddy Mark Fields, he's a he was a, a briefly uh he he uh, sang a little bit forever down. He was um he was Good in a band. band called Proclamation. He's just like he's like this guy just in, in in a million bands. But anyway, he he um sent me a a uh, he took those last two records and he remixed or he didn't remix them. He re-edited them 
so that they would just get to the point. <laughs> so he sent me these. Uh, it's like these a 12 re- minute long album. These edited versions. And it's funny because I'm so used to hearing these ridiculously long winded versions of of these songs. And he sent them. So we're like, like now, now these albums are like less than 30 minutes a piece and they're just fast and to the point he cuts out like some of the like we're gonna do this this riff again we're gonna do this riff again you know what i mean like it's just because that's the thing like those records are just so like the songs there's probably about three minutes of song work that they stretch into like six minutes five minutes or whatever. the songs on human sacrifice and on once dead were longer but they weren't they were complicated you were yeah. you know and I so I think there was this certain thing where you know Martinez is in the studio and he's like it has to be longer because that's that's what yeah. we did before you know five minutes minimum you know and yeah, you like, have an issue where you have a guy who is a frontman who's now involved with the songwriting and and he's and he's like kind of in control of Vengeance one hundred percent now there's nobody who's giving him a leash who's going to question Roger Martinez. I mean, what are you what are you gonna get? He's a legend have, at that point. Yeah, exactly. And he's done those first two records that are like so so successful. And like, what are you gonna do? Tell, you know, what's the difference between a band where you have a bunch of of strong personalities who are all like really gifted musicians, all creating something, and then they all split and say, "Hey, Roger, take fine. You want it? Take it." And there's also that element of like he had something they had to prove now, because they gave him the name and the debt. And he had to make that work. So, what is he going to do? What is he going to do, guys? He's going to he's going to make a record that's going to be more of everything in his mind. So it's 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 you got one guy now who's in control, and and so everything is going to be okay. Well, I'm going to. It's not like he went out and he started a new band. He got a solid lineup of guys who are all contributing and creating vengeance. It was him. And he grabbed a bunch of hired guns. He got Chris Hyde from Deliverance to be his drummer. He was Guns N' Roses before Guns N' Roses. Totally, man. Exactly. Yeah. So what do you? And we all know how that worked out with Chinese democracy. Chinese democracy. Exactly. Exactly. You're you're, you're hitting this exactly where I'm going. Like he's he's. It's it's the Axl Rose show. It's the it's the Roger Martinez show. He's got a bunch of guys who are great musicians hiring them. But they're not bringing in their stuff. That he's going, I'm vengeance. So he's got George o- Ochio, whatever he says last name. Guy played on uh, Deliverance, uh, Weapons of Our Warfare, and all that. He's playing guitar for some tours. You got the guy from, uh, uh, what's the drummer's name? Oh, Chris Hyde. You got him playing um, from Deliverance, Wep- again Weapons of Our Warfare, and all that. He's playing drums on um, Destruction Comes, and he's just hiring people. And, and I would say Destruction Comes is uh, – there are a few songs on that record that were written with the original lineup. So there's a few moments where you listen to that where you're like, okay, it's kind of still sort of vengeance. But there's uh, – the production issues are terrible. The the performances aren't the same. He's hired a bunch of people. But um, it, I would say with Destruction Comes, like say it, it is Roger Rising at this point, but, but it – there are some songs on there where I'm like, it's still pretty, pretty awesome. There's still some cool moments on that record. What do you got bottled up, Jeff? I know you got something loaded. There's, I think the big reason why you get essentially two different bands is because you have uh, the dichotomy and the, uh, the, the, the varying voices on the first two albums are what make it a good band. Whenever you have a bunch of high, 
quote unquote hired guns that are yes men, you get the second two albums. Exactly. Yes men's a really good way of saying that. Yep. And it doesn't mean that it's necessarily, I guess, bad from a certain point of view. But it's, you know, it's Martinez's vision for the second two albums. There, and there's no, and it's a runaway train. There's nobody, you know, to stop them. You know, there's mm-hmm. nobody to, you know, essentially interject their ideas and and have an and have a feeling and, and a, you know that they can bring to the table. And uh, I think it actually um, it it proves what's wrong in music over and over and over again. Actually, is the fact that uh, I think people get too sensitive and they get so protective of their. Uh, of their intellectual properties that, you know, they, they don't, they're like Gollum, you know, with the one ring, they, you know, it's the, it's their precious, <laughs> you know, exactly. and, yeah. and they, they don't want to share it with anybody. And, you know, whenever you actually are able to bring a, a different view and some perspective to the table, uh, you get a better product. Yeah. At least that's how I think about it. I mean, sure. I mean, it doesn't always feel that way but i mean i'm a big star wars nerd and uh the one of the best movies from star wars is one that george lucas didn't direct and that's Empire you know, strikes back that's in, exactly so i mean i i think that kind of proves the point i mean yes he has a vision but just because it's so good in his head doesn't mean that it's going to be translated that way to everybody else and and that's what yeah. I and I feel that's what happened on the second two albums is that the it was it was lost in that translation because he needed other people to bounce it off of because he only saw it one way and that's what you get whenever you only have uh, one vision you, you got to be able to to share it and have other people uh, add to it and that's how you. It, I guess the only time that you know stuff like that doesn't necessarily work is like with, uh, with visual art, uh, because you can you know it's so easy to see, because uh, you can literally translate what it is that you're thinking of. But that yeah. but for the most part, for anything that that's that's oral, uh, you have to. I think you have to have some some sort of um, interjection by other people. Well, and yeah, and I think it was weird. It's almost like a Dave Mustaine, right? You know, like in the sense, like I get kind of the same impression, especially with Roger Martinez at this time, that it was almost like a no, this is my band. I wouldn't call that a Dave Mustaine as much as I would call it an Axl Rose because unfortunately, I think there is a huge difference between a lead singer who thinks they own the band just because they have ownership of a copyright of a name and a lead singer-guitarist who actually does create the majority of the music. I agree with that. I agree with that. I, I get both examples, but I agree with what that distinction you just made. Well, and I think it, it also showed that, that Martinez had kind of fallen out with the times a little bit, because at this point, Mortification is, is smashing vengeance as far as being the most extreme, you know, the heaviest. And, and I don't think there was any animosity there. I mean, even even after no. he went, even he, after he I went mean, like Steve satanic Rose on the on the released album. So I mean, there's there's definitely a a, a collaboration 
still there. But, I mean, even whenever he went satanic, he still described Steve Rowe as a nice guy. Uh, but what's interesting about it is that, like, they were, like, he was, I remember reading, like, old snippets and old copies of HM Magazine where Martinez was describing, you know, Destruction Comes and even Released Upon the Earth as grindcore records. And, uh, well, they're not that. Uh, <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> no, not so, quite. So, <laughs> like, I don't think he, I don't, I don't know if he understood what the term meant or, you know, what, what it implied musically, but, like, what you get on Destruction Comes is, is a pretty admirable record considering the, considering all the stuff that went into making it. Because, I mean, like, the, you know, yeah. the song Bishops was, <clears throat> is it Bishops Assault? No, that's on the next one. Yeah, it's on the next one, but, you know. I'm thinking of Before the Time. That was the, that was the big single on this one. It's funny about before the time because, like, you know, I've spent my my whole those early years getting into metal, like going from Petra to Striper to going from Striper to Vengeance and Deliverance and all that. Um, uh, you know, I, I tell my my mom and dad like this is Christian music. I swear this is Christian music. They never took the time of day to like read the lyrics. They didn't. They didn't go to Creation and have the the cd cover comparison <laughs> you know so um <laughs> so you know like i'm trying to sell my sell these guys sell myself and say like look i'm listening i swear to you i'm listening to christian music and then what do they do they put that before the time video out and um i rent that from a or christian bookstore the uh, hot metal four or whatever it's called the video and that's like a compilation of all these music videos you know what you have shout and vengeance rising and deliverance and all these bands and I put on that before the time, and what is what happens? My mom walks in the room, and there's the freaking band playing in a satanic church, and you got the dudes spinning their hair with pentagrams everywhere, and you got Roger Martinez standing there with a demon face mask <laughs> on. Did you guys see this music? You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. He's like holding a skull at one point. Yeah, he's got the skulls in his hands, and he's in a casket at one point, and I'm like man, this is making this really, really hard to, to sell for my parents. Like, I'm kind of screwed at this point. Like, I, I, I got nothing at this point. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I like the album. I, I think the album has a punk rock quality to it that I like. It's it's not as good produced, but there's a lot of uh, three-chord, four-chord, kind of like trashy, fast songs but it's not like it's not the same but it's still kind of heavy and cool and it's um because there's sort of like a a lingering uh few ideas from the last lineup that still kind of like finds itself in this sort of okay place i don't know like i don't know i don't know if you guys feel that way but i i feel like destruction comes as a drop down but not a um a complete offense where you're like this is the worst thing ever like it just it's like a weird middle ground. In me. retrospective, it sounds like a band that has all new musicians. It sounds like the lead singer went out and hired a whole new group of guys. That's what happened. And just kept going. That's what, yeah, that's what he did. Well, Ocha did a much better job on this recording than he did on Mortification's Primitive Rhythm Machine, but we won't get into that. <laughs> Release oh, yeah, Upon the <laughs> Earth, 1992. <laughs> I've been avoiding talking about this one. I wanted to I, I wanted to tell you real quick before we move on to the release upon the earth. Um, I actually reached out to Alan McGuire. He's the singer of Scattered Few, who was on um, the song Regal. Yeah, I, I googled this word. I'm like, what is Regal? And I googled it, and 
the only thing that comes up in Google for like three, four pages of Google is vengeance. <laughs> so I'm like, That's funny. what is this freaking word? So I emailed uh, Alan Aguirre uh, today, actually, to ask him, like, can you please give me some context behind this song? And um, the only thing he said to me was, uh, I have no idea what the word means. He's like, I, he's like, I remember being really busy with something and almost and, and not being able to make the sessions. I blew into the studio. I did my thing, chatted a little bit, and then I left. And I'm like, okay, what the hell does this word mean? Like, even the guys who report, recorded the, the song don't even know what it means. And <laughs> should have, <laughs> I just you, should have really emailed funny. Roger, but you probably wouldn't have got a response. Man, I have reached out to him so many times. We, we, you know, when Travis and I were doing the show. And you know Travis might still be trying to do this. I'm not sure, but uh, we tried to get Roger Martinez. We wanted to be the one interview where we got the guy, and like you know got that other side of the story. And that dude is—it's impossible, man. I'll be if if Travis gets Roger Martinez on his show, I will applaud him till the end of time because it's it's just not going to happen, man. Realms of I'm still waiting for Realms of Blasphemy to come out. It's 2018. I'm gonna try too, um, especially like because we're you know I don't know I don't know if he talked to us or not. Especially once we post this one, but like it, it'd be interesting to see if we could get him on it. And like, dude, we would totally be like straight about it. Like, let's talk about a band that you like. You know, <laughs> like you know, exactly. totally. I mean, I would love to just hear him talk about whatever, just to get him. The only other thing I wanted to say real quick was that Chris Hyde, the drummer on Destruction Comes, was the drummer of Deliverance. And, and he, he, has, he actually passed, passed away. away. Yeah. 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 Um, I just wanted to give him a little shout out because he was a great, great guy, great drummer. Yeah. So Never forget. So released upon the earth. We don't have to talk about it long. Well, okay. So Help Me <laughs> goes on for fucking ever. Um, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Do you guys... What do you guys think about that? Like the fact that the first song is called "Help Me." Is this a, is this like an attempt for uh, uh, him to reach out for some help? Or an what, actual cry for help because it sure sounds like cry. it. <laughs> yeah, it's just wanking like all like it's just wank the the whole time, and it's it's not even a real song. Uh, my wife and I were listening to it on the way over. We were going to her mom's house today, and I popped this in, you know, in the spirit of the episode or whatever. And like, she was like, "Okay, so I hear all the soloing, but where's the song?" She's yeah. like, there's no song here. Yeah. The the best part of the song is the intro when it just starts with that dun dun dun, and there's that like really long, uh, reverby sustaining thing going on. It's kind of a cool intro, but then when it kicks in, you're just sort of like, where's this going? And it, and it just goes on and on. And it on. should have been a thirty second intro. And it goes on for like five minutes. Yeah, it's really weird. Yeah. It's fucked up. And like, okay, so what was the deal with Roger's vocals on this? Yeah, sometimes he sings like old school, and then other times he tries to do Steve Rowe. He's trying to do Steve times. Rowe, and he's doing a really yeah, bad job yeah, of it, except yeah. for when it actually is Steve Rowe. <laughs> um, yeah, totally. That stuff's but, okay, know, but... One of, the, one of the worst offenses for me on this album, and I don't know if you guys noticed it, but when Mark Fields, my buddy, he sent me the edit... So what he does is he takes a six-minute long version of the songs on this album and he cut it into like three minutes. So what I, what what helped what it helped me notice was that there's no metronome on this album. So and these these songs start out in one me- uh, tempo and they end in a different tempo. And when you cut it down from a six-minute to a three-minute, 
you immediately notice that the songs start to speed up, speed up, speed up, or slow down, whatever, yeah, this, whatever the case. There's, it's a sloppily performed album. Like, it's very, it's very sloppy. It's very uh, all over the place. It sounds very shit out. Yeah, and you know, I I liked it when it came out because it was heavy and it was weird. And and, and ultimately, again, the album covers always sell me. Um, and and roger martinez as sort of a madman always has sold me so like when he does his vocals no matter what they are there's a part of me that kind of just likes it but um what's ultimately offensive about this album is like you have a common uh, the, the perfect storm of terrible songs terrible perf- performances and an album cover that finally isn't controversial it's it's kind of boring it's nothing <laughs> it's nothing at all it's nothing it's it, what is it like a like a sewage plant it seems almost seems like a rip off of the Mortification self titled album. Yeah, I mean it's it's got the logo. The logo will still have me buying that cassette, but it's just you put it on now as a, and again on this side of, of the world, you know, in my age now, I put it on and able to kind of like gauge. I haven't listened to it in a long time, so I'm listening. You know, when I went back and listened to it for this episode and kind of like was thinking about it more critically. You start to notice a lot of stuff about it that's just really bad, and this is the one the one album in their whole discography. I'm like, this is an absolute catastrophe. This is a this is this doesn't do anything for me, yeah. and I hate saying that. Yeah. But the saddest part about it for me is that this is the album where, like, okay, they started off as being kind of one of the premier bands. Like, in on Human Sacrifice and Once Dead, you had a band that you could show up next, right up next to any secular band, and say, this yeah, is man. just as good. Released Upon the Earth is that record that confirms that Christian music isn't as good as non-Christian music. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, they okay, clearly they listen to metal bands, but they're not they can't perform it. They can't do it. Yeah. And that sucks. The first song on the album is an instrumental. Like it's 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 a not really one. I mean, I guess cuz you sing and help me it's not an instrumental, but it's just really kind of like not a song. You know, it's it's you have this first song that's like a long droning uh thing that's just going in repetitive motion it's not like a going anywhere it's sort of just one musical piece that's just continuing for too long with him screaming over it and it goes on and on and on i'm like why would they open the record with that like it's just you know like you said it should have been maybe like two minutes long or whatever just sort of a a prelude to something else and connect to something but it just doesn't and it's just a very weird way to open a record I just it's it's weird seeing the evolution of a band and like we saw it with mortification like at least vengeance was done after this um you know with a band like mortification or even tourniquet depending on who you ask you know it's weird to see that those bands continued um but again there's a reason for that because roger martinez being the evangelical lead singer of a christian metal band as he was decided that well he just didn't feel that way anymore yeah like and that's when the mail out came out, you know, the uh, the uh, coming out party. Hey, guys. Um, yeah. <laughs> you might want to sit down for this one. Well, I mean, uh, no, I mean, not to bore you guys, but I mean, I mean, okay. Clearly, there was an issue of being bitter. You know, he thought that he was going to take the name and take the, the band and do something bigger with it. And he didn't have a band to back him up. And it didn't, it probably like, it didn't go very well. These records are not good. 
um he did a he did a really long instrumental called out of bounds on the album it was like a douche fest of, uh, of a song that just just honestly it just sounds like sound check music like a music like hey let's jam something out and like get the sound check right and it just they put it on the album it doesn't make any sense whatsoever um yeah, it's garbage there's well there's a couple good songs human dark potential is probably my favorite um bishops of, bishop Tyon of souls is pretty Tyon good or, Bishop of Souls, yeah, they probably should have ended the album with Tion or Tyon or however, however you say that. Um, but anyway, but you know, he things did not go very well, and uh, then the big, you know, he'd been hurt and uh, ripped off and whatever the things are. I mean, ultimately, I just think that, that Roger Martinez was a man who wasn't very s- mentally stable. I mean, when you th- when you look at what happened when he took control. And then you look at like his big mail out letter and what had come after that, and the and the fact that he went from a, a, a theologic, theologically strong Christian guy to this extreme opposite of like I'm so hurt, I'm going to blasphemy everybody. It, it, to me, it seems like there was something going on there that was not stable. And right, it's one thing to have a change of heart; it's another thing to <clears throat> to go out of your way to contradict or you know yeah. like just destroy, cause damage destroy everything that you did before yeah i mean he, when i mean you gotta understand like when that letter came out and some of the things that he had said right after it i mean he was going as deep as he was saying that like you know bob beeman's hand was the hand on the on the human sacrifice album cover and that was the same hand he jerked off with and like you know he was saying <laughs> crazy point, shit like that <laughs> and he was and he was he was sharing like personal conversations between people where he had borrowed money and um you know and had been ripped off and equipment bills that were given to him but <clears throat> you know I had listened to the interview he did, the vengeance, the vengeance guys did with with Travis on that one episode, on uh, as the story grows, and they were kind of playing down that sort of thing of like you know he wanted to take the band, the name, and he wanted to take, you know he he owned it. I mean you could make the argument of like okay what if Destruction Comes made some money? What if it sold well because of the other albums? Those dudes didn't get any of that money. He did. So there was like a flip of that. You can look at it both ways, but ultimately, I don't think it worked out very well for him. And um, and I think Die Happy was pretty successful because Die Happy was starting to get award nominations, and they were spar- they were they were doing well. They were they were they were a little bit more aware of the times and like you know the like we were going back to the Seattle conversation. Like they were they were kind of pushing more of that Soundgarden and. Alice in Chains thing and I think it, they were maybe a little more commercially successful so I think that he maybe there was some jealousy there but I think I think what happened with, with Roger Martinez is as um, I mean I'm a not to completely bore you and derail this conversation but you know I'm a, I'm uh, I believe in the once saved always saved uh, theology so I'm I'm of the opinion that Roger Martinez probably was more in love with the theology than the actual real relationship with Jesus or real like uh, um, spiritual touch of the Holy Spirit. I mean, you know what I mean? Like I'm not, not, I'm, I know this is discography discussion and not theology discussion, but, <clears throat> but I mean, if you're going to get into that sort of situation to me, I mean, he's either a Christian or he's not like, I don't think there's like, I was a sincere Christian and uh, had this, 
this touch of the Holy Spirit. And now I don't because I've decided that I don't want it. Like I don't, I don't believe in that. So I know I, to me, I think there's a man who was very educated, very theologically educated, but that doesn't mean that it's real. You know what I mean? And I, I don't know. I think to, to allow people to hurt you financially and to hurt you personally and spiritually and to discourage you and to get to bitter and jealous about whose band succeeded and did vengeance sell as well as they did all that stuff to allow that to become what dictates your spiritual views um is kind of like fake to me and i don't really view roger martinez as somebody who's very uh uh, like a like a was a Christian and now isn't. I don't I don't I don't get into that stuff. To me, it seems kind of like the dude wasn't very stable, <clears throat> right? In the first place, that's my opinion of it. And you know, I could talk about that for two hours, but but I mean, just to summarize, you know, I think that that kind of summarizes it for me. Like, would that be your final thoughts on Vengeance? My Rising? final thought is that Vengeance Rising was in a was a fantastic band when they were a band. And that when they became Roger Rising, uh, too much of one guy's control, and uh, um, and and yeah, that's 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 my final thought. <laughs> you know? When are we getting Realms of Blasphemy? That's what I want to know. Never. Yeah, probably never. He still talks about it. Well, that's because every time he talks about it, he makes a couple of bucks. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm serious. Good point. Seri- Good point. I, yeah. I'm, I'm serious. I I don't. I think he was hoping to uh, be the uh, megalomaniac that was behind it, run the whole show, and make all this money, and show the Christian community that, see, it can work, you know, and it it hasn't, and I think he's bitter about it, and so, you know, there's plenty of bitter people in this world, so he's perfectly allowed to have that so that that's my thought yeah. is that you know he just he tried to to run the whole show it didn't work uh yeah. and he can't let go it's really weird and like when he first left the church and stuff it was very like spiritually oriented so it was like i'm a satanist versus a christian but now when you you if you can get a glimpse into his life at all through youtube or whatever there's a lot of just sort of atheist ideas and not so much satanic atheist idea you know what i mean like i think he kind of realized that like <laughs> there was something dated even about his like secularism you know like <laughs> he's um, going more king diamond know. a little bit less uh uh what's that one guy's name uh the big atheist guy he shall not be named joe joe <laughs> do you have final thoughts i would say that there are so many perspectives lessons stories that you can get from one band Every single band trope is in there somewhere with Vengeance Rising. Four records, new band, changing members, changing style, changing opinions, changing the outlook, the lead singer taking control of everything, the band not wanting to do what the singer wants to do, who's in charge, this and that, and at the end-all, be-all, the complete theological change that causes one person to just fall apart in the public eye. There's a lot that you can study on just this one band, but for me I say I like thrash metal 
I want everybody to listen to thrash metal, but you really should be listening to the first two albums. And don't pay too much mind to that person that feels so bad about what they think last year that they had to destroy it in order to justify their change of mind. That's well said. That was a good one. And I would I would concur with that. I would say that theologically and musically, the first two records are where you want to be. Um, the lyrics are, are fantastic on those first two albums. I mean, he did some good stuff later with the lyrics, but but I mean, you know, the whole package is, is in those two those two albums for sure. What about you, Dan? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think Vengeance Rising was a cool band. I think that you know the, they had some missteps with the last two albums, and you know, I understand that Roger Martinez has had had a change of heart and everything about his Christianity, but like that's not something that I think necessarily should have stopped the band, like. My perspective on it has always been that, like, he could have kept it going and just did what all the other Christian metal bands did at that time and just say, hey, we're not a Christian band anymore, but here's our newest, newest album. And um, I, I don't understand why he didn't take that, um, <laughs> you know, take that route. I mean, maybe he would have had to get a new record contract or whatever. But like Steven said about it maybe being a little bit unstable in the sense that, like, he really felt like this is what his entire identity was tied up, to, tied up in, and that, that's kind of sad. So it's been a while since I've studied my psychology, but I'm 99% sure that's the explanation. Yeah. It's not just that I changed my mind. It's I went, I had to go against it. Like I had to take up arms against it. That's how bad I feel. Yeah. I, I read the, I read the mail out and I can tell you that there's something unstable about him for sure. I mean, I mean, when you read that stuff, you're just kind of like, what the hell? I mean, there's stuff about him, like, having an affair with his wife and all kinds of weird stuff. Like, it's it's not simply just the music. It's There's a dude there who just kind of, like, like, put himself up as a certain kind of a public persona, and it all kind of came crashing. So, I mean, you know, and, and the other guys in the band, like, it, it's, you know, I should probably preface this whole conversation by just telling you that, and the weirdest connection ever is that I had done a band called Tantrum of the Muse with a guy named Jim Settle who was the bass player and we we did some albums and some tours and stuff had a pretty decent recognition and um, he is now their lead singer and they are reuniting uh, and writing a new record yeah as and vengeance. He's, their, he's their new singer and, it, and so this is weird as we're recording this like no joke guys as we're recording this he is in the studio right now doing the new Vengeance record and um, there's this whole weird thing where I'm going that I'm going through where I'm like a good close friend of mine is the new Roger Martinez. Right. <laughs> you know, as we're recording this and discussing this, I mean, I have this so much inside information about this band right now because my buddy's doing the vocals. Right. And it's like, so see, as we're talking about this kind of sad story about this how it, it all kind of ended, I'm, this is part of me that's like, these guys are the, the original guys, the, the the real band of of that band, like are doing new music with a really good friend of mine and it's just a bizarre timing and a bizarre feeling that i'm that i'm feeling right now it, it, obviously you can't have vengeance without without roger martinez i i'm a purist in that way like like you need them both and it'll be really cool to hear the new vengeance or whatever they call this project with the guys that were vengeance musically with a vocalist who's really strong like jim settle is and and maybe it'll be its own thing. I don't know. And and I don't I don't know how much of it they're trying to repeat. But it, it's a very strange conversation I'm having right now because it's I'm sort of like 
it's like almost like a brother of mine is their singer now so it's just so odd to be in this this conversation but um if i think some good things are coming though i think i think uh i'm not in in any way going to say that like you know get ready for the next human sacrifice i'm not i'm not in that because that was a time and a place and, and, a, and a, a specific timing and culture but but it'll be cool to hear those guys they're very talented guys and uh they're inspired right now and and jim's inspired and he's a really talented guy so i think it'll be cool to hear hear something new from those dudes and uh i kind of wish ben i kind of wish roger martinez would stop hiding from everybody and 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 give us a little bit of uh you know just not be so uh, so on guard about it you know it'd be nice to hear him just say you know what whatever it was in the past right like, i can talk to you guys i can i can appreciate that people love me and still appreciate me even and pray for me even though i don't believe in that it'd be nice to see that side of it we're gonna wrap this guy up um do you guys have a uh, like a album of the week or something that you feel like everybody should be listening to? Oh yeah, I, I kind of mentioned it a little earlier on Facebook, and that's uh, the hammering process. Okay. <laughs> wow, Dick. Yep. What a great record, right? That's Absolutely. funny because mine was Inhabit, in honor <laughs> of talking to DJ a, this week. Yeah. Yeah, hey, I'm, I'm with you at the Inhabit for sure. You know, I want to give a shout out to the new Deliverance record that just came out. It's called The Subversive Kind. Okay. Um. Um, I haven't heard I, that I yet. It, I finally got it on vinyl. They sent it to me, and it's it's really good. It's a it's a throwback. It's got uh, Victor Macias Macias, however you say that, from Tourniquet, the classic Tourniquet on bass, and it's got um, Jimmy f- uh, from uh, I'm not Jimmy. Sorry, Jimmy is the singer and guitarist. I was like, if it's not Jimmy, it's not Deliverance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jim Chaffin, the drummer from the Crucified. Oh, okay, the cool, cool. And the so, blame. And then they got yeah. Roger. They got a. Uh, they got their uh, original guitarist back too. So it's 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 a cool throwback to thrash and and metal stuff. So sweet. I'll check that out. That's what I've been been checking out lately. Megadeth, dystopia. Still on that one, are you, Joe? I will not get off that one until Dave gives me a new one. There you go. Nice. Well, very cool. Uh, Steven, this was awesome, man. Uh, yeah, thanks, guys, for having me on. I hope I didn't uh, overwhelm you with my vengeance conversations. Uh, I blame the Heaven Hill if, if that's the case. I mean, yeah, it's all good. <laughs> no worries. Symposium <laughs> Rising, I think, is going to be Symposium the Symposium Rising. There you go. <laughs> very cool. Well, you guys can check out on Teachers. Um, if you haven't heard on teachers yet, you really need to. And you can find them on Bandcamp. Is it bandcamp.com slash unteachers? Unteachers.bandcamp.com. Oh, I got it backwards. Yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah. cool. And, I'll, and I shouldn't say this, but I will because it's kind of frustrating because uh, our record label is selling our record right now. You can get the full-length 12-inch vinyl of our really hard-working album for I think four bucks, which is ridiculously offensive because it's worth so much more than that. <laughs> right. But um, uh, Veritas Vinyl, you can get the record there. Get it now while you can because I'm buying all the remaining copies soon and I'm going to sell them for way more money. So Nice. $73. Yeah. $73. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> With free shipping. So... <laughs> um, for fans of, of uh, as the story grows too, like Travis Turner, the the infamous host of that show, he's my cousin. He's the drummer on that record we did, and uh, um, he did a really great job. It's a it's a it's it's a really unique record. I mean, I think you all should check it out. You know, um, I'm not I'm not like I'm not the kind of guy who's like my band's amazing. I'm not saying that, but like we did something unique and special and i think it's uh, worth hearing so check it out very if cool you're a fan we will do so 
And on that note, this has been episode 54 of Discography Discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher. Visit DiscussMetal.com for all things discography discussion. And please send questions and comments to DanAndJoeShow at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one at Patreon.com forward slash DiscussMetal. Get in while the getting's good because we're about to give you some more. You can find Steven and Unteachers at Bandcamp at unteachers.bandcamp.com and on Facebook. Just search for Unteachers. They're there. I know. I just tried. Unteachers is on Facebook. Yeah, it's like whatever that Facebook.com slash Unteachers. Very cool. 